sometimes the hardest decisions are the ones that could go either way Mm -hmm. when you're choosing between two good things, grad school or life as we know it. And they're both really good things. And so um, sometimes those can be really difficult because then you're just having to pay attention to desire. Welcome to Cultivating the Lovely. I'm your host, Mackenzie Coppa. You can find out more about the podcast at cultivatingthelovely.com in our Yellow Brick Road membership community at patreon.com slash cultivatingthelovely and in our Facebook group. I would also love to connect with you on Instagram where you can find me at Mackenzie Coppa. That's M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E-K-O-P-P-A. Oh, ladies, I know so many of you are going to love this episode because I hear from so many of you that you love this lady's podcast. Today on the show, I have Emily P. Freeman. She is one of those interviews that was just so much fun to conduct. I loved interviewing her sister, Michael Lynn Smith, back in the fall, but actually getting to sit down with Emily and chat with her, and especially about things that were just so interesting to me, like her being in grad school and spiritual formation and all that stuff she's doing. It was incredibly interesting, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode as well. And we talk about her brand new book, which is also named after her podcast, The Next Right Thing. So I'm really looking forward to you being able to listen to this episode, and I would love to hear back from you what you think of it. So be sure to be chatting with me on Instagram. That is one of my very favorite places to be. You can find me at Mackenzie Coppa, or if you haven't done so yet, join our Facebook group. You can just search Cultivating the Lovely on Facebook to really easily find us. Also, a couple of other little things I wanted to chat about with all of you. One thing that I mentioned last week that would be really helpful to the podcast is if you would head over to this little website, it's survey.libsyn.com slash bold turquoise. Again, that's survey.libsyn.com dot com slash bold turquoise and just fill out a really quick survey there about listening to the show it would be really helpful as we move forward with sponsorship of the show and being able to keep it on its feet so if you could run over and do that it would be a huge huge help while you're at it you might as well leave a little rating and review in itunes that would also give the show a big boost and help it to continue to keep moving forward and of course we have patreon you guys so we're making a few changes to patreon one of the things that we're doing is we're reopening opening our cultivating groups for the second quarter. So these are going to be launching probably the end of the first week of April. So now is the time to join Patreon and get your submission in to be registered for those groups. You are placed into groups of usually five to seven other women and you connect on Marco Polo, which I know that sounds a little intimidating to some, but I've heard from so many women who've been part of these groups for the past three months that have said the Marco Polo aspect of it has changed everything. It's allowed them to really get to know each other in a face-to-face sort of way as much as you can over the internet, and it's made such a big difference in these women's lives. Members receive a quarterly workbook where we talk about different aspects of life and self-care and living into our strengths and weaknesses, and we're going to be really focusing on joy and fun in the second quarter. I think it's going to be a really amazing quarter to get involved and be a part of the community. So if you want to do that, please come over and join us at patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely and also if you are a fan of the same page my other podcast we are making some changes over there and we are actually introducing a three dollar level just for people who want the printables from the same page podcast they will also get access to our same page facebook group and our cultivating the lovely facebook group but it's a smaller price point for people who are just wanting those specific things and we would love to have you join us over there and be able to get more involved with that podcast as well All right. I think that's all of my introductory items. Let's jump right into this episode with Emily P. Freeman. Welcome, Emily. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. This is super fun. I am so excited to have you. You know, I get so many proposals of people to come on the show. And when it's a name I know and that I know I can just without hesitation say "Uh, yeah I want that person I don't even care what they're writing about (laughs) it's always (laughs) like oh I know it's gonna be a good one (laughs) yay I'm so glad yes and I had so much fun with your sister I mentioned that I interviewed her for her last book and she was just a hoot so I knew that I could expect nothing less from you (laughs) 
That's right. She's my yep. big sister. So, you know. So fun. We do our things in pairs. <laughs> yes, you do. That's funny. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm very familiar with you and your work, but for those of my listeners who aren't so familiar, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm well, I'm Emily P. Freeman. I in normal life, like in my family, they don't call me Emily P. Freeman. But <laughs> in my writing life and podcast life, I use the P because there are several Emily Freemans out there. So the P is necessary for that reason. Mm-hmm. It stands for Patrice, which is my middle name. And I didn't know how to spell Patrice until like eighth grade. And one day I was like, Mom, wait, how do I how do I spell that? And and, and then I learned it by saying Pat Rice. So there oh, you go. That's, that's funny. <laughs> so random maybe I was in like third grade it feels like I was way too I was way too old that's my point here um so yeah I I, my favorite place to stand Mackenzie is at the intersection of faith and creativity Mm -hmm. I think a lot of really beautiful things happen there when we um, are able to access what makes us come most fully alive and then also um, you know the God who uh, embodies us and is with us within us and walks before and behind us so I have written um Let's see this. We're talking about today my fifth my fifth book, sitting here oh, wow. counting. Um, and so I've I've written several books and they've all sort of just been a different expression of um, the with God life about Christ being in us and with us and around us. And so um, this one is sort of what it looks like to to walk with God in our everyday life and in making decisions. And so mm-hmm. um, I've just kind of discovered that. Um, you know, that's a really interesting, also an interesting place to stand. Um, but my husband, John, and I have been married about 17 years, a little over that. We have three kids. Our twin girls are just turned 15. What is happening? Wow. Um, we're at like driver's permit stage. They haven't oh, gotten it yet, but goodness. that's kind of where we are. They've done driver's ed and the whole thing. So, and then we also have a son who is um, just two and a half years younger. He's 12. So this was our year of entering sixth grade and entering ninth grade. So two really big um, yeah. stages of life for kids and parenting. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in that same place too. My oldest is almost about to turn 13 and he's in sixth grade. And it, you're just like, what? You, you like look like a little man. It's so right. bizarre. He took up doing push-ups and like, he, it's ridiculous though. You think like, cause when he, I mean, he's still 12 and he started it last summer and I was like, you know, you're 12. Like how much of a difference could it really make? And now he's like this little ripped person and it's just bizarre. Yeah. That is insane. It's so funny how that something clicks in their brain around 11 or 12 and they're like, I'm going to do this. I'm yeah. going to do some pull-ups. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've got happening? this. I'm going to become a bodybuilder at 12. Right. <laughs> All right. And his diligence. I I really got to hand it to him. I even posted about it on Instagram recently because it was like he's had more stick-to-itiveness than (laughs) anyone I've ever seen for a New Year's resolution. And he started in August. Like, what in the world? Yeah. I love that. They're amazing. But it's super fun. But this book. Okay. So I... I I was at a count of four books for you. So I'm missing one. So what are they? Okay, so my first book, it was, maybe you're missing the teenage book I wrote. Yeah, that's probably it. That's what it is. My first book is called Grace for the Good Girl, Mm -hmm. and it's all about letting go of your try-hard life. And then I did, a year later, um, a book that sort of holds hands with that one, but it was for teen girls, like 12 to 18. And that one was called Graceful. And so, and then after that was A Million Little Ways about uncovering the art alive within you. Then Simply Tuesday was in 2015. And now um, the Next Right Thing podcast has led to the Next Right Thing book. So that's where we're at. Yes, I'm I'm so excited. I can't wait to dive into it more. But I want to like do a big halt and back up first because I have so many questions about the book. But you're doing a pretty major thing right now, grad school. And I would just love to hear more about what you're learning and what that's even like for you right now. You know, after um, my fourth book released, Simply Tuesday came out in 2015. And McKinsey, I was a little bit of a crazy person because I mean, it was all spirit led, I feel like, but I did release those first four books um, within, uh, what was it, five years. So it was... It was a little bit, you know, much. Um, And I don't know that I would do it that way again, although at the time it all just, it was kind of my next right thing, you know, as I went through. But I knew after that fourth book released, I really decided that I wanted to have some time of, you know, 
not putting not so much output, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah. And I really felt like it was important for me to take some time to be silent and still and I was looking forward to it. But I don't know about you. But you know, it's difficult once you're in a, a state of movement and moving forward, it takes some effort to stop. Yeah. And so I think I anticipated like, because I was looking so forward to the, the, the quiet and the break, I was sort of thinking that I would, it would be easy. But what I discovered about six months into it was, uh, you know, silence and, and solitude would show up at my door and I would be like, why are you not speaking? Why, yeah. why, what, what is happening? What's this mean? Because I think in the back of my mind, I had somehow decided that in this time of silence and resting, something was going to be made clear to me. Mm. I was going to know my next thing to do and it was going to be really obvious, but that's actually not the point of silence and solitude and stillness. It's really to be still and, um, and not plan and scan and, you know, figure out the next thing necessarily. Sometimes that comes, but it's not necessarily the point. So I entered into sort of this time, a, a couple of years actually of not of not really um, kind of having a lot of creative energy, but not any place to put it and mm-hmm. um, trying to do some different things, um, just not necessarily publicly, but just in my own private place of work in my own head and, mm-hmm. and nothing was really coming out. And, but o- over a little bit of time, the desire to explore um, this process of spiritual formation and what it looks like to be formed by God in, in our daily lives um, and and how to put ourselves in his path on purpose for the purpose of um, developing character and, and actually having God's word make a difference in my life. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a spiritual theology I was interested in, not just, um, and that sounds kind of fancy, but it was really just the type of theology that actually makes a difference in your everyday life. And Mm. so um, one, during that whole sort of time of what's happening and questioning, um, I started meeting with a spiritual director and that might sound a little woo woo if someone's never heard that term, but it's a really ancient practice of, um, it's really just a person, the, the person you meet with is not the director. It's really, it's really, a better term is spiritual direction because the Mm. spirit of God is the director and the person that we have now labeled the spiritual director is simply a co-listener and someone who's willing to sit with you and hold open a prayerful space so that um, you can um, discern where God might be moving in your life. And so I started to meet with um, Marion, who is my spiritual director. We've met now for Gosh, it's been, it'll be almost five years. Um, But in the process of that, it it wasn't necessarily to find answers. It was more to just settle in to who I am and who God is with me. And um, it was sort of because my conversations with her were so transformative, slowly transformative, and began to change my posture toward God in a way that maybe I had not been in the past, Mm -hmm. the actual process of direction and that listening posture, I became more and more curious about it. And so I started looking into, um, well, what what would it look like to become a spiritual director, someone who holds open this prayerful space to be a spiritual friend for, for other people? And I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, I've done that in my life in relationships naturally and in mm-hmm. the books I've written, it sort of always has this posture of, you know, let's don't always speak, but sometimes let's also listen and be curious listeners. Um, mm-hmm. But that's how it started. I, I was looking for maybe like a one year spiritual direction training type program. Yeah. And, um, but that sort of evolved into, you know, well, this program is two years, but then if I, you know, if I do that, I may as well get my master's because yeah. this master's program is also two years and and it's some of the same kind of stuff. So it sort of was one of those things where it evolved slowly, but then um, over time it it ended up making sense to go ahead and and get the degree. Although, you know, I'm 41. And so it's not like I'm thinking, um, I don't know, as you get older and maybe you can relate, I don't know, but you start to care less about some of the, um, I don't know, the the status things or what is the mm, word? Like the, yeah. the credentials, the credentials yeah. don't maybe seem to hold as much weight as the learning, you know, and yeah. the actual, yeah. like, what am I going to learn from this? So that's really what's been most appealing to me is, man, I'm a, I'm a learner and I love to learn and, and I have been learning a lot, maybe not that's as much amazing. as I want to, because there's so much reading that it's hard to retain everything, but I'm doing it and 
almost finished. So Wow. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think when you're just heading to college, there's kind of that, well, I need that end product. Like that's what right. I need to get to the next thing. But, but when you get to come at learning older, then you're just doing it for that personal enrichment. And then, oh, you get that product at the end and that's great and you can use that. But it's because you're actually like genuinely curious. It's not just the next thing that everybody does. That's right. Yeah, that's so interesting. So what does that even look like? I mean, do you go to classes on listening well? Or you know, like what, what kind <laughs> of classes do you take? Know, right? <laughs> Such a great question. Well, it ended up that um, I this particular program I'm enrolled in is a when I'm done, I'll have a master's in um, Christian spiritual formation and leadership. So it's not actually okay. a spiritual direction um, focus, although we did take a spiritual direction class and it was a class on listening. I mean, we read books about listening mm. and we had to meet um, weekly and and videotape some um, us practicing listening to a real person in a room that we know. Wow. So I like roped in like all of my friends <laughs> here where I live in North Carolina have like had to sit in a room and talk to me so that I could practice listening. And um, actually that was, it was a assignment I was kind of afraid of because it's a little bit, you know, you have to ask someone to be vulnerable yeah. for, your, for you to get a grade in a class. <laughs> but it turned out to be one of my favorite exercises I've done in my whole program because I, what a privilege to yeah. um, hold the stories of people I know and love and to do it in a way where they are the focus and they don't have to reciprocate. Well, yeah. how are you? You know, yeah. they get to just show up and, um, and explore where God might be moving. And I get to have a front row seat and prayerfully listen as they speak. And so that was a really lovely practice for me. And, and it, it also awoke something up in me. It was like, yeah, this feels right. This, mm. this, I'm in my lane. You know, it really yeah. felt like that. Um, but so that was one class, but other classes we've done, you know, we have had a formational theology class and um, I'm in a class on mission now. Um, sort of, I just started actually this term all about how, um, you know, God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church and how, mm. uh, you know, that's sort of the focus is what does it look like to be, um, to carry the gospel in no matter where we are, you know, yeah. as missionaries, no matter where we are. Um, so yeah, there's been, you know, all, everything from yeah theology to some really practical stuff. But one of my favorite parts is every, uh, so that's all online. Okay. And then every um, semester we go out to Kansas, which is where my school is for a one week cohort. So we get to, you know, we four times in the process of the program. I've, I go out there and, um, we meet in person and we have lecture during the day and small groups and we just really get to know our fellow classmates. And that's, that's fun. That's been great. Cause I feel like I'll, you know, be connected with them forever, which is yeah. a real gift. Yeah. Oh, I bet. And it's, I mean, it's such a, it's not even just like a normal degree that you would kind of bond with other people. It's something it seems like much deeper yeah. than that. And for you to all be learning that at the same time. Yeah, it's been it's been a real gift. And yeah, there's no hiding in this program. <laughs> yeah, I bet. You know? <laughs> well, it sounds so cool. I So are you going to become a spiritual director then when you're done? You know, it's a great question. I don't necessarily anticipate. Um, and now I'm going to, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that the big, the biggest thing, my, one of my biggest takeaways, I think, is that um, is to have a, a listening posture no matter what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So even as a podcast host, which sounds silly because I'm talking the whole time, <laughs> you know, I'm a host that it's a 10 and 15 minute show and I, and I talk the whole time. I don't have interviews. So how can you have a listening posture when you're the talker? But I'm trying to explore what that looks like. And so um, sort of asking questions to the listener and giving a little bit of space in the actual episode wow. um, to provide them to listen to their own life. And so that's just one example. But I do think that um, rather than like, you know, what profession am I going to embrace? I think I've got my profession. I think I'm doing it now. Yeah. But I do think this is informing and transforming me as a human um, and allowing me to bring that listening posture to all of my relationships, all of my writing, and my work as a whole. Wow. Well, that's that's cool to just be able to integrate it into what you're doing and just feel like your work is now more informed. Yes. 
ladies, spring is here. We thought it might never happen in the Pacific Northwest, but alas, the snow is finally melting and we are seeing some sunshine. And the best part is as the weather starts to clear, we can finally get outside. The worst part is cleaning it all up because with the spring comes trails of muddy kid footprints and piles of dishes after our first meals outside. But I'm happy to tell you that nothing cleans up where we're living quite like the spring scents from Grove. Grove makes healthier home products accessible and affordable, which is super important to me. Grove makes it easy to find the best natural, eco-friendly products online and delivers them straight to your door. You guys know how I love that too. So you can make better choices for your family with just one click and none of the hassle of going to the store and trying to find the best prices and trying to find the store that has all the products. You know, that's a huge hassle. I don't want to deal with that. Grove allows me to just go to one place and have it show up at my door. Everything available at Grove is healthier for you and the planet, and the products really work. Grove delivers natural brands you already love, like Mrs. Myers, 7th Generation, Burt's Bees, I don't go to bed at night without my Burt's Bees chapstick, and Grove's own brand, straight to your doorstep. Some of my favorite products that I have recently purchased are our Yes To skincare that I've been using with my son and with myself. I have their Yes To Carrots Night Cream that is super moisturizing and I absolutely love. And I love that I could get our skincare products as well as a ton of our cleaning products all from the same place. And I want to encourage you to get this exclusive Mrs. Myers offer from Grove before it runs out. Select your favorite spring scents, peony, lilac, or mint, and new customers will get a free cleaning set in these limited edition scents when you place your first order of just $20. Free Mrs. Meyers Spring Hand Soap, Free Mrs. Meyers Spring Dish Soap, Free Mrs. Meyers Spring Multi-Surface Spray, Grove Collaborative Cleaning Caddy that is super cute, and Grove Collaborative Walnut Scrubber Sponges that everybody raves about online. You see them all the time. They're amazing. So try Grove now before this exclusive spring offer runs out. For a limited time, my listeners get a three-piece cleaning set from Mrs. Meyer's Spring Scents, a free 60-day VIP membership, and a surprise bonus gift just for when you sign up and place an order of $20 or more. Check out Grove and our special offer at grove.co slash lovely. That's grove.co, not com, slash lovely. Grove.co, not com, slash lovely. Well, and you have done something super fun though with it I gotta say your literary London trip oh yeah oh my goodness that was like when I saw what the trip was who all was going my jaw hit the floor and I think I was pretty much like um guys hey yeah I think you forgot an invite I'm pretty sure (laughs) pretty sure it's supposed to be on that trip yeah (laughs) oh that's good amazing would you just talk about what that was like and what you did on the trip and it was I mean it just looks so cool from the outside in It was so cool, I have to say. Well, uh, maybe it was about two years ago. My friend Tish Oxenreiter, she's a fabulous writer Mm -hmm. and um, has been a dear friend for years. We met through blogging years ago, um, which is so fun to have a real life friend. You know, I think there's so many of us who've met so many great real life friends, right? Through this medium. But um, she sent me a Vox, um, which is like a message, voice message. And she said, My listeners are very familiar. Okay, good. Good, good, good. You never know. Yeah. Uh, so she sent me a box and and she said, hey, I have this crazy idea. And now, P.S., whenever I hear that someone has a crazy idea, I get super excited because I think that all good ideas tend to start out crazy. Um, not all crazy ideas are good ideas. <laughs> yeah. But if you find a good idea, trace it back, it probably sounded a little crazy to start with. And yeah. so she's, I've got this crazy idea. I would, and she started telling me that she's always had this dream of leading a group of people, women, whoever, um, on some type of not a pilgrimage, but kind of to someplace in the world. Tish has, has written a memoir called At Home in the World. Mm-hmm. She's traveled all over the world with her family. Yeah, but, no, she's always- but that doesn't even do it justice. Like if we're talking about crazy ideas, this woman like went on the road with her family for what, nine months oh, uh, <laughs> and yeah, traveled the world. Yeah. It wasn't just like, oh, we're going to go for a month or a week to Guatemala. This was like full on. We yeah. are a traveling family. Yeah, we are living our lives out of our backpacks all over the world. Yeah, amazing. Totally. That's Tish. So when she when she tells me she wants to lead a trip, I'm like, oh, this is happening because she could do that in her sleep, right? Yeah. (laughs) 
So she, but she had this really great idea of um, her favorite city in the world is London. And she wanted to lead a group, specifically a group of women, um, through a, a trip to London with a literary bent. So where we would sort of explore, you know, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and Jane Austen and sort of see where they ran around, where they yeah. did their work. That's so amazing. many. And I think it, she was fascinated by the fact that so many of our great storytellers come from this island and, you know, mm -hmm. in the ocean, you know, yeah. way over there in England. And so um, she said, but I don't want it just to be, you know, a tourist of the of the great writers. She said, I also want there to be a spiritual reflective element. And that's why she sort of said, I wonder if you would be interested in coming with me and sort of co-leading where, um, you know, and her idea was that she would sort of lead the logistics of the traveling mm -hmm. and I would, of the out, outward traveling, but that I would help to facilitate the inward journey that happens when we get out of our own comfort zones and, um, join with other people on a journey of discovery and um, of exploration and curiosity. And so within our time there, so the point is we ended up gathering a group of our friends um, because it was sort of our first trip. And yeah. we thought, you know, we don't really know what we're doing and we don't really know if this will work. So yeah. let's take, let's give people a super discount and take some friends who love us no matter what. And yeah. they'll be super honest with us. And so it was a beta trip and we went this past summer and, um, it turned out just, it, I loved it so much and, you know, it wasn't perfect. There are definitely things when we do it again, we're doing it again this summer, by oh, the way, we just man. filled our trip and, um, so fun. I can't believe we're doing it again, but, um, there are things we're going to do differently. Mm -hmm. Some things are going to, you know, we took off the schedule and some things we added, but, uh, overall the, the whole point and, and anyone can really do this anywhere. Um, it doesn't have to be London and, you know, it doesn't have to be this trip, but the whole point is to move yourself out of your regular routine, um, and connect yourself with people who maybe are doing a similar kind of work. So this is specifically this trip that we're getting ready to take is for, um, creative entrepreneurs. So mm. women who are, um, several of them own their own businesses and are, or making a living online, or they have, um, brick and mortar shops and they are, there's some unique challenges and struggles mm -hmm. that come with those types of jobs, as I'm sure, you know, yeah. and, um, and I, we thought it would be great to get them together in the same space, but then also to travel in, in, in this beautiful, um, land that we yeah. have experienced a little bit and we look forward to exploring more. And so, and then just having some really intentional conversations in some intentional places while we were there. And that's what we did. And for me, it was transformative for certain reasons, but I think also for the, for the participants, um, I think several of them made major decisions while we were there, wow. which is an interesting conversation to have about decision-making because when we, I think when we remove ourselves from our daily activities, um, when those tiny decisions of the everyday life fall away and you kind of run out of them, yeah. then you're left with the big ones. And yeah. that's what we talked about while we were there. That, that is so interesting. I think that when you do get away, it, it is somehow clarifying and it almost amplifies yes. what you've been going through. I know, I mean, just an aside, people listening, but I went to Nashville about a year and a half ago and that's when everything hit the fan and I realized like, oh my goodness, I need to make a, a very big step in my life and, and get out of my marriage. And for some reason, it just, when you're, you're away, you're pulled out of your normal circumstances and you can kind of look in with those outside eyes, things become a little bit clearer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's remarkable how that happens, but it does. Yeah, it totally does. I can attest to that. So that's, oh, it just sounds amazing. Just that sort of concentrated experience and for you to kind of get to get your feet wet and put into practice all these things that you had been learning. That had yes. to be really delightful. It was. It was really affirming, too, because I was able to um, test it out and to see, like, yeah. okay, does, it's like trying on a dress. Like, yeah. does this fit? Yeah. <laughs> is this me or is this not me? And it definitely felt like me, and I was really grateful for that. Oh, that's so fun. What what an amazing opportunity. I'm so glad you guys are continuing on with that. Maybe someday. Someday I'm going to go on one of those. It's oh, yeah, so girl. We'd yep. love to have you. It'd be so fun. Okay. 
So this is kind of more, well, I want to know both practically and content-wise. I want to start moving a little bit more towards the book. Um, how did grad school influence the writing of this book? Like even just timing-wise, how did you do both at the same time? And then how did it influence the content? It was a really difficult decision for me to decide to um, go into grad school. Partially because of what we've already said, which was there wasn't a clear line like, mm-hmm. well, I'm I'm here at A, but I need to get to D. So I yeah. have to do B and C. There wasn't if I didn't go to grad school, everything would have been fine. I would have continued yeah. to do the work I'm doing. Nothing would have been much different and we would have moved on with our lives. So sometimes the hardest decisions are the ones that could go either way mm-hmm. when you're choosing between two good things, grad school or life as we know it. And they're both really good things. And so um, sometimes those can be really difficult because then you're just having to pay attention to desire. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when it comes to desire, I get squirrely and weird because um, I don't know, we've not been really conditioned to um, honor desire. We've been conditioned mm-hmm. to stuff it and to ignore it and to move past it because desire tends to lead us down dark and twisty roads of selfishness and all the things. But mm-hmm. um I don't think that's always the case, especially when we're walking in step with our friend Jesus. I think he um, speaks through and to our desire and um, really invites us to pay attention. And I think he is often trying to get my attention through the uh, pathway of desire, but um, I don't always listen. And so he has to come through different ways, like the voice of my husband or through a a good friend or through scripture or just all these different ways. But um, looking back, it's like, oh, I I wanted that all along if I would have just listened to that in the beginning in his presence. And so Mm -hmm. that decision, though, that I carried for several months, maybe half a year, um, it sounds so silly because it's like, oh, you poor thing. You are (laughs) a grown adult who can afford grad school and you just had to choose between going or not. You know, this is not in the scope of life. This was not a hard decision. This was just something I had to choose. And, um, but it was distracting because unmade, unmade decisions hold a lot of power for all of us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can't sleep until we make it. And which I think is sometimes when we make bad decisions is when we feel like I just want to get it over with and I want to move through it rather than taking the time that it might take. Um, But that was a catalyst. Actually, deciding or not to go to school was a catalyst for me to start. That was the outward thing that was happening. But the Mm -hmm. inward thing that was happening was I was paying attention to what this unmade indecisiveness within me, what it was doing in my spirit and in my soul level. And what it was doing was it was causing me to pay attention, to take notice, and to um, really listen to God in ways that maybe I wouldn't have if I didn't have the decision to make in the first place. Mm-hmm. And that as an artist and as a writer, um, really sparked my interest because mm-hmm. I thought, what is it about an unmade decision that is actually a formational tool, um, a, a, or a pathway that God might want to use in our lives to bring us closer to him and transform us into his likeness in ways that could not happen if everything was clear and easy. Yeah. And so I started taking notes on that, just little notes here and there. And I would call it um, decision-making. I, like I labeled it like decision stuff, you know? Hmm. And so I started gathering all these notes. Meanwhile, actually having to make some decisions about yeah. real life. But on the underneath the surface, I was, I was sort of taking notes about decisions for months. And um, I even talked to my editor Uh, for one time about a book idea for decision-making and I didn't have it clear. It wasn't clear in my head, but I was sort of circling around it and Mm -hmm. it was a terrible pitch. It wasn't even a pitch. (laughs) It was just more of like a, she and I were catching up and I told her the idea and she's like, "Hmm, keep thinking about that. (laughs) Definitely wasn't like, yes, write that book. Um, but I actually tried to start writing that book. It was January a couple of years ago and it was super frustrating because it wasn't coming out the way my other books had come out. It wasn't mm-hmm. blooming. It was just sort of laying there flat on the page. And as a writer, there's nothing more discouraging when some when the words aren't coming alive, even a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Even terrible first drafts can feel alive within you. Sure. And um this one was just terrible. There was no light. It was just terrible not not living. Yeah. <laughs> and but I held on to the idea. Um, but what happened was that that idea began to I realized that it wasn't coming out as a narrative arc, like a book does, it was more coming out 
episodically, like just sort of mm. um, like here and this thought and this thought and this thought and this idea, but it wasn't necessarily building on itself. And that, my friend, lent itself very well to the format of a podcast. Yeah, totally. Especially because I was so loving the audio format at that time anyway. And um, so that's how the Next Right Thing podcast started. And I tell that story because if there was no podcast, there would be no book. Mm. Uh, because the podcast helped me explore this concept and really get deep in it without having to know where it was leading. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just was sort of, uh, you know, here's this thought of it and this. And as I look back at the episodes, I think, oh, there was, there is an arc kind of, there is a path here, mm. but I couldn't see it on the front end. I can only see it now looking back. And so that's really the only way that this book was able to be created um, in the time frame that it has been. I couldn't have written any other book during yeah. oh, I bet. student because um, I've been really writing this book for the last two years, one week at a time, one yeah. episode at a time. And so while the book is not the podcast in book form, it's not that, um, but there are a lot of mirror, mirrors and there's mm-hmm. lots of um, themes and You'll if you if you're a person who listens to every single episode of my podcast, you'll find familiar things in the book. But the book does have an arc, and there is a pathway now yeah. that has made itself clear that was not clear when I started the podcast. That's fun. I know I did notice like some of the chapter headings and stuff are similar to podcast episode titles, and um, but yeah, the the content is is definitely unique to a book format. It doesn't, having listened to your podcast and, and reading a good chunk of the book, it doesn't sound exactly the same thing, I think, for sure. But I I love that the podcast came first and you really got to explore that. And that was a way of developing all the ideas that's just so interesting to me. I, I often think about that even with Cultivating the Lovely, like, oh, what could this, what could I say about this that I've learned, you know, in, in a couple of years or whatever. Okay, you ladies know that I'm a big fan of getting box meal kits that come right to my door and take a lot of the hassle out of meal planning for me. However, there are a lot of times when that just isn't affordable for me, or I'm just wanting to use our own tried and true family-loved recipes, and I need to do the planning myself. Well, for five years now, I have been using Plan to Eat. It is my absolute favorite way to plan our meals because it makes everything so simple. It was designed by a family that were homeschooling and raising kids and knew the dynamics of needing to make meal planning as simple and straightforward and easy to accomplish as possible. In fact, years ago, I even wrote a meal planning course and created all these printables that I scrapped as soon as I found Plan to Eat because it's just that well thought out. Plan to Eat believes that our physical and emotional health is directly tied to what we eat, which I agree with as well. Plan to Eat was born from the desire to eat real food, great food, prepared at home together as a family. But it also takes out a lot of the meal planning headaches that we all face and I've heard so many of you get frustrated with. Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family already loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And then you're able to really simply create a drag and drop meal plan around your schedule. And then the software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan, which I absolutely love. And they even have a great mobile app so you have everything on the go. You don't have to worry about printing things out. It's super simple to use. Plan to Eat also has a full-time support team that is available to help you get started with an account and answer any questions you may have. They work hard to respond to inquiries and questions within 12 hours, but it's usually less. Plan to Eat is a subscription service that offers monthly and yearly options for just $4.95 a month or $39 a year. That's only 75 cents a week. But they also include a free, fully functional 30-day trial, no payment required, so you can easily see if it actually is the right fit for you. But good news, you guys, they only have one sale a year, but for my listeners of the podcast, they're actually giving a 60-day free trial instead of the normal 30-day trial. So if you just go to plantoeat.com slash lovely, you can get that 60-day trial. I think you guys are going to love it. You can even copy entire meal plans that you've created before and put them on another week so you don't have to do the thinking all over again. It's just so well thought out. 
So go to plantoeat.com slash lovely. Get that 60-day free trial and really sink your teeth into it and give it a try for yourself because I think it's going to really help you with all of your meal planning woes. Again, that's plantoeat.com slash lovely. So you've been doing the podcast for two years now? It has been. It was August of 2017, so okay. it's just about a year and a half, maybe. Okay. And in that time, I've got to say, you've made yourself indispensable to people's lives. I mean, <laughs> I've I've listened, but I have friends who are total diehard loyalists, like can't get through the week without their Emily P. Freeman. Like it's a big deal. For, I love it. It just like, and I hear about it so much and I completely agree. I mean, your voice is soothing and it just, it's the music, like it's very well crafted podcast and it's really like fit its way into people's lives. And I think you're, you're kind of taking on that spiritual direction in a, a mass format, you know? Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's actually really encouraging because when I, now this podcast started out as a crazy idea because at the time when I started it, every podcast I listened to was an interview format. And mm -hmm. I love that. Like, but I knew I couldn't do that because ready, I am super like not wanting to have my schedule defined by when someone else could be interviewed. Yeah. <laughs> like I the mean, fact that this podcast is at 6 a.m. <laughs> Right. You're a saint, my dear. You're a saint. I couldn't do it. I'm like, no, I want to be able to record when I can record. That's it. I yeah. only want to think about myself. So it started out just that way. But but I also knew that, yeah, I wanted sort of to be really light on my feet and limber. And I wanted it to be short. I wanted to be able to say words and get out. Um, but I also took um, a page out of Oprah Winfrey's playbook. Ready? Here's a, mm. here's a pro tip. When Oprah um, had her show for what, 25 years or whatever, yeah. You know, it came on, I watched it four o'clock every day after school when I was growing up and yeah. watched it with my mom. And then I watched it in college. Then I watched it when my babies were little. And it was like such a comfort that she was yeah. always on in the afternoons. Um, but then she left her show and she started own the network, right? And mm -hmm. um, and so they were like so excited about the network. And this is, it's not just an Oprah Winfrey show. It's a whole network. And it didn't do well. And yeah. they were surprised by like, oh, this didn't do so well. And what she realized was that, she had, it wasn't so much, um, it was Oprah. Obviously the Oprah effect is, is a big, big deal yeah. and she does amazing work. But what she discovered was that, um, over those years with the Oprah Winfrey show, she had created a four o'clock habit for people. Mm. And that's what was so compelling that they, now they just, they just, you turn it on at four o'clock. That's Oprah. I'm still talking about it. And her show has been off the air for years, yeah. but I know what time it came on yep. because that was Oprah time. Right. Yep. And so something that I thought when I was creating this podcast was I want to create a Tuesday habit for people. I mean, I have a book called Simply Tuesday, right? <laughs> so Tuesday represents the most regular day of the week. It really is sort of like our everyday life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a it's a metaphor, but it's actually a real day yeah. that represents our everyday life. And so that's why I knew I wanted it to come out on Tuesdays, the episodes. And I thought I would love it if someone said that every Tuesday they listen to this podcast without fail. And it's like a 15 minute speed bump in their week. And it, and it sort of helps frame the week a little bit. And so to think that that might be happening a little bit, not on Oprah level by any measure of the imagination, but, um, but just the concept being there that this can be a Tuesday habit, um, a, a formational, you know, few minutes at a time by few mm -hmm. minutes at a time over a long period of time. Um, and maybe it can begin to, um, transform the way we see ourselves and the way we make decisions in our everyday life. I love that. And I think it's so impactful and it's very accessible, especially for people who, you know, either the spiritual direction thing may be new to or they don't feel like they have access to or the ability to get, you know, this is a great entry level place. <laughs> I think yeah. to come into it and really start contemplating some of those things. And I just think you're doing a really good job of it. Well, thank you, my dear. Yes. That is super encouraging. Yes. It's, it's very lovely. You're cultivating good. lovely. Yes. Cultivating all yes. that lovely. <laughs> so I did notice that this book does seem to have a very different voice or writing style from your last two books. Was that intentional or do you, a conscious choice or like, how do you go about how you're going to write your book? You know, that's an interesting point you make. And I'm curious, how would you articulate the difference? 
I think that your last two books were more poetic. Yes. Like more lyrically written. And this book I felt like was more, hey, I'm going to sit down with you and talk you through how to go through this decision making process and have it really be impactful. But I thought it was more story driven on just a more like, hey, we're going to sit down at coffee kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, um, I would say each each book, each art form, whatever it is you're making kind of tells you what it wants to be. Mm. And I feel like a steward of that. And so to I wouldn't say it was a conscious choice, like I am going to write this book in this particular way. Um, but I would say there's an instinct that comes. Mm. And so this book wanted to be, I think this book really wanted to be a practical guide. You know, I, I imagine somebody, because I know how difficult it is when you have a decision to make. Mm-hmm. And um, my hope is that that I can meet people in that at the crossroads, you know, this way or that way, and that this book shows up mm-hmm. and then they can walk with this book and that, that hopefully there is still a familiar voice in it. That's me. Oh yeah. Um, because it's all me, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher and poet. I, it's a weird combination I know, yeah. but I've embraced it. And so there you go. Um, but I do think that I like to begin maybe in this one with a little more, not didactic, but a little bit more, okay, here we go. And this mm-hmm. is sort of one, two, three, but then hopefully leading people into the mystery um, of, and here's how to deal when we don't have all the answers. And there is some um, mystery to the process. And that's part of, that's one of the steps is Mm -hmm. learning to embrace not knowing and to be okay with a lack of clarity. And, um, but I feel like that um, my job as the as the co-traveler is to be really clear with what I sense a reader needs to hear in her time of indecision or his mm-hmm. time. It's not just for women, but yeah. I probably have more female readers <laughs> than male readers. Yeah. Well, I think you did a really good job of that because the book is so, I mean, it's a nice size, especially for someone faced with a decision. You don't pick it up and think like, um, hey, I've got decisions to make. I don't have time right. to read this tome, <laughs> you know, and, and it's really, the chapters are fairly short. I love how you put a prayer and then a practice at the end of each um, chapter. I almost said episode, wrong format. Um, I think that that I mean, it's just, it is so highly practical, but really does make you look on a deeper level in making the decisions. And so, yeah, it was just interesting to me as I started reading it, because I think your last two works, because they were more poetic, sometimes it takes, it feels like it takes me more effort to like, okay, I've really got, I've really got to give like really focused attention and be able to, to think this through and what she's saying. And this was more like, Hey, you've got enough decisions to make. You don't have to concentrate so hard. Right. Like, you don't have to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, just you know, take this for for what it is. And yeah. it, it was like, oh, that that wasn't what I was expecting. And I I really I was able to really dive in in a great way and be like, oh, this just so applies to life. And I I just yeah, I'm I'm very excited to finish reading it, especially because I'm in a season of lots of decision. And yeah, I just think it was so well done. And I wanted to hit on a couple of the things that I thought were big points that kind of really stuck out to me. And the first one was, would you just take a minute to talk about what soul minimalism is? Soul minimalism is something that um, kind of struck me when I was listening to a podcast with a conversation actually with Tish Oxenreiter and Mm. Joshua Becker. Joshua Becker has a blog called Becoming Minimalist. Mm -hmm. And he's like, like a straight up minimalist, like in his house, you know, and he like wears black all the time. (laughs) (laughs) He's fantastic. I think he's just brilliant. And so I was listening to their conversation and he was talking about how we always have input into our homes. Like our kids are bringing home stuff and we have gifts and presents and groceries and trash and everything is always coming into our homes, but we don't have a regular practice of output. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to spend our whole Saturday decluttering the garage because we don't have a practice of, Mm -hmm. you know, we always are bringing things in, but we're not equally at the same um, pace taking things out. And so he talked about that in a, in a practical home way. And I began to think about, of course, because I always am, you know, what would that mean on the level of my soul? Because guess what? 
we as humans are always taking in information, Mm -hmm. conversations, conflict, shame, anger, pride, all the things are being hit and they're bouncing around within us at the level of our soul. Um, And where is the output though? Is there a regular output? And if there's not, what does that mean for my soul on the inside when I have a big decision to make? It's a lot more difficult to get to my true desire. It's a lot more difficult to hear my inner voice and the inner voice of love, the voice of God, when I'm cluttered up with all this input that I've been carrying around with me all the time. Mm -hmm. And so what might it look like to um, have a regular practice of output? And I've just discovered that silence, stillness, and solitude um, are really the um, tools that I believe God has given us to um, sort of enter into this practice of letting go and of releasing some of these things that we tend to carry around that we just think is normal. Mm -hmm. But in fact, um, releasing them can really provide a lot of space on the inside for us to um, pay attention to what our next right thing might be. Yeah, it's so impactful when you when you just explain it like that. Like, oh yeah, duh. Right. Like, <laughs> duh. Right? No wonder I'm so heavy and I feel, you know, just like I can't even think straight because there's just there's too much input. Too much input. I mean, Marie Kondo talks about touching your books and t- does this bring me joy, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, that sounds silly, but then like what if we did that on the inside? Mm-hmm. What if we what if we held that conversation we had with that person yesterday morning and said, is this something that I still need for my journey? And if it's not, I can gently let it go. I can thank it for what it had to teach me. And mm-hmm. now I can let it go in the presence of God. Yeah, that's impactful. And when, like you're saying, like when you make a practice of it, of doing that and being consistent with it, I think it could definitely be life transformative. Absolutely. Yeah. Another point that I really liked in the book and I think is is really hard for us to do is being a beginner. What you say <laughs> about like a le- you want we all want to master things and just be like good at it right away and to have to kind of sit in that that beginner stage is so difficult. I've just been learning about my Enneagram type lately, and I think that probably has been amplifying this whole idea more. But you just, you want to be an achiever. You want to finish it. You want to be there. You want to get the accolades. And would you just talk about being a beginner for a second? Well, first, I want you to tell us what you've learned about your Enneagram number that's made being a beginner difficult. Well, I'm a three, and so Uh I'm an achiever. And so I, I like to be good at what I do. Like I've had people a lot in the past say to me, you know, oh, you're just good at everything you do. It's like, well, I only do things I think I'm going to be good at. (laughs) A big difference there. You're not going to see me out doing any sort of sport because I know I'm not good at that. So I just don't do that. I, I plug into the places where I know I'm going to be, you know, excel, but in this last year, it's been so much, or year and a half, been so much out of my control and the inability to to necessarily be good at this process of divorce. You know, I don't know that you can be good yeah. at it, but I, it really, I've had to be a beginner on so many things and be starting over on so many things and really like with my business, attacking it in a different way than I've ever had to before because, oh, hi, now I'm sole provider for me and my four kids. So, and there's been so much of that that I just want to, I want to be there already. I want to be making enough money. I want to be, you know, know all the things that I need to know to make this train run smoothly and quickly. And it doesn't happen overnight. Like there, it's a process that you really have to learn step by step and keep growing incrementally. Like I went back at the end of 2018 and looked at my goals from 2017. You know, I just left my marriage a couple of months before and I was like, okay, where am I going to be in a year? And it was like so outlandish. Oh my word. When I looked back, I was like, really, really, Mackenzie, you thought you were going to be making that amount of money by then and have your own house and like this divorce would be long over. And like, here I am living in my grandmother's basement (laughs) and the divorce is so far from being over and my business has so far to grow. And 
it has really kind of forced me to have to be that beginner for a lot longer than I think especially I am naturally inclined to be comfortable with. But but it's been necessary. That is so it's so true and I th- you you articulated that so well because there's something really terrifying about admitting our beginning status. But mm-hmm. I think that when we refuse to admit those areas in our lives where we are beginning again or where we feel like a beginner, it drastically impacts our decision making process. Because if we are if we are a beginner but we refuse to admit it, or if we avoid those spaces where we're going to have to begin again, mm-hmm. um, then we're making decisions based on trying to not look dumb or foolish or trying to save face. And it's really no, it's a really closed way to live. So I think embracing our status as a beginner is really the first step towards um, wholeness and compassion. There's something really kind and um, humbling about confessing our longing to be the smartest person in the room and really letting go of that, right? And trusting in God's presence. You know, I'm going to celebrate my smallness here. I'm going to sit down on the inside. I'm going to admit that I don't know something. And I'm going to let my friend Jesus, who is the smartest man who ever lived and knows all things, I'm going to let him lead me in my next right thing. And I'm going to embrace this role of being a beginner again. Yeah. Well, everyone listening, just we have to hang on those words. Like that was so beautiful. <laughs> I just felt like I just got sucked into your podcast. Like, it was just like <laughs> I'm in Emily land. That was beautiful. And I think a really good way to kind of wrap things up. I just, I, I'm really enjoying this book. I think it came at a perfect time for me. So thanks. You're <laughs> but, so welcome. Yeah. But it's just so practical and engaging. It's really enjoyable to read along with, being able to put it into practice in your life. So I highly recommend everybody go get the next right thing. Plop it in your Amazon cart right now. Yay. But before we finish, I would love to ask you just a couple more questions um, that I ask all my new list or my new guests on the show. So what does a typical day look like for you? Oh, well, it depends on the day because right now I operate my week based on theme days. So I think I recently heard about yeah this. yes so Mondays is podcasting day so my typical day is like get up get the kids to school go and um, script the podcast record the podcast edit the podcast schedule the podcast and then it comes out Tuesdays so wow. that's insane but that's yeah. what I do um, and then Tuesdays are hope writer days I co-founded a membership site for writers called hope writers mm-hmm. and um, that's the day that I work on our membership site connect with members um, meet with my co-founders I host a live um, a live workshop every week um, with a publishing professional or uh, author, marketing guru, editor, agents. Um, So that's Tuesdays. And then um, Wednesdays are usually catch up on hope writers. And then also um, school (laughs) right now. (laughs) Basically, school is in every crack of time that I can find. Yeah, I Um, bet. But I mean, but typically, you know, when I'm not in school, the day looks like my kids are all in public school. So they're in school during the day. And then by four o'clock, I try to wrap things up Mm -hmm. and, um, be present. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it's not till five or six that I'm able to wrap things up, but I do have a husband who makes his own hours. So, um, y'all, he makes the dinner right now pretty much. So I know it's, it's, I'm super spoiled with that, but, um, so that's nice. So we try to eat dinner as a family most nights when we can, and our kids aren't driving yet, but we're like a year away from that. Yeah. Who knows what our days will look like when that starts happening. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I, I (laughs) dread that it's coming much more quickly than I want to admit. Yeah, it always does. Yeah. Okay. So what is one way that you are currently cultivating loveliness in your life? You know, one way is I'm trying to embrace the practice of a simple morning routine. Mm. And that usually that involves some type of movement, yoga or a walk, um, and then also some type of stillness. So it's sort of like an opposite. Um, And usually that stillness just looks like I set my phone timer for a short period of time, like five minutes. Mm. Um, I also have a Centering Prayer app. It's called Centering Prayer. I think it's free. And um, they have like a little dong that will oh. you know, go off. It's very soothing. Yeah. Um, and so you can set it for whatever time you want. And um, I usually just do about five minutes and I just sit in God's presence for a little bit of time without an agenda, um, just in silence. And that has 
is turning out to be a really lovely practice for me. That is nice. Oh, that's very different than what my mornings are currently looking like, but it sounds (laughs) very nice. But on the flip side of that, what my mornings are looking like, I think I've even mentioned this on another episode. And who knows, by the time this episode comes out in April, I don't even know if I'll be doing this anymore. But years ago, like what, almost four years ago when Periscope, do you remember the Periscope Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's how kind of Cultivating the Lovely got its start because I did a morning show on there five days a week. And so I've just started doing that on Instagram again. And I just come on around 645 Pacific Standard Time and we chat about things like books or the Enneagram or whatever topic like yesterday I did a makeup tutorial because that's what people asked me to do and for me being extroverted but I feel like I run that fine line like I really appreciate my alone time but then I definitely like feed energy off of being with people Uh and so it was something that a friend of mine had pointed out to me years ago when I did the morning show and I quit. She said, well, you, cause I did it for almost a year. And she said, you, your mornings, like your day was so much more productive. It seemed like when you did that and you met with people. And so I figured, well, for 2019, we'll just kind of give that a whirl again. And I, I do like, even if I'm feeling sluggish, I, once I have gotten to chat with people, I all of a sudden feel more ready for my day. And oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. And it kind of just gets me going. It helps me to feel less tired and like, okay, I'm, I'm on my game now. I've interacted with people I can. And I mean, when you work for yourself, it's it can be very isolating. And yeah. so it kind of forces me to like chat with all my coworkers and then that's like, true. get yeah. on with my day. You know, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. Actually, I've never thought of how that would would do that. But that that would be really life giving. Yeah, it's been really fun. And, and, you know, some mornings like today, I won't be swinging the show because I'm doing this instead. <laughs> I was like, well, I could get up, you know, at 5am, get completely ready, do the interview and then have an hour between when I need to finish with you and go get my kids. And like, nah, <laughs> I'm just gonna do this. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, even just being able to talk with you in the morning, it's like, okay, I'm awake now. I'm ready. I feel more ready for my day. So that's been just a little lovely way for me to get things rolling. So yeah. I love it. Well, you're welcome. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for waking me up. Okay. Are you ready for my stock questions? Yes, I think. Yes, they're fun. Okay. Candles or essential oil diffuser? Diffuser. All right. Cloth napkins or paper? Paper. Yeah. I... I, I, I hate to say it. I mean, I, I would prefer cloth, but I don't use them. Yeah. And it, it always amazes me when people answer cloth. I want to sit back and be like, really? So how does that actually happen in your life? <laughs> right. but, okay. City or country? Oh, that's hard. <sighs> country. Okay. Paper or digital? Paper. Okay. Shopping. Would you rather do it online or in the store? Oh, lately online. Okay. Now, I, this question I typically ask when people are making dinner and they need a mental break, do they listen to a podcast or to music? But since you're not making dinner right now, <laughs> <laughs> but when you come to that point in your day when you need a mental break, I guess, do you listen to podcast or to music? Music. Okay. And what kind of music would you listen to? Oh, right now I'm listening to, I have the, um, you know, that show Victoria. Oh, it's yes. About, okay. So I have her soundtrack, her oh. <laughs> on repeat. That's what I would listen to. That is a really good idea. I would yeah. have not even thought of that. Gloria. Oh, yes. Song. Oh, so I, I think I need to go get that right now. Do it. Do and it. it just started again. Have you started watching the new season? No, I didn't know. Cause I'm still a little behind. Oh. Um, but I'm so that you told me that that makes me so happy yes it's one of my favorite shows and I have to say so I we're just going to take a little interlude here for just a second because (laughs) I love Victoria or yeah did you watch so you've seen like the wedding episode yes and the wedding night yes sexiest episode ever on tv <laughs> without any clothing being removed right how did they do that oh it's my word it was right. i came away from that like hot and bothered like oh my right. word british it's the british yes. oh how do they do it? amazing everybody go watch it so good okay chocolate do you prefer milk or dark oh dark 
All right. Yeah. I mean, is there another option? Why? Milk? What a waste. I know. I agree. Okay. Sports or no sports? Oh. I mean, I don't want to live in a world without sports. Okay. But I don't know that I would choose it. Yes. So I don't know how to answer that. Okay. Live broadcasting. Would you rather broadcast or watch? Watch. Okay. Uh, yeah, watch. Okay. What is your favorite movie? The Wizard of Oz. Ooh, that's a good one. I have another podcast called The Same Page, and we read classic children's literature. And that was the first book that we did this year. It was. It was. Oh, just that movie. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And I had always been so familiar with the play and the movie. It was really fun to, to read the actual book, which I'd never done yeah. before. Oh, yeah. Okay. Last question. If you were to put yourself on the crunchiness spectrum where zero is totally not crunchy and 10 is like singing Kumbaya by the fire with your legs unshaven and dreadlocks in your hair, where would you be on the spectrum? That is a fascinating question. I mean, probably a three. Okay. I like it. I'm not very crunchy, I don't think. But you have your essential oil diffuser. I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. So maybe that, that, th- that kind of throws me off the, yeah. spec- the scale a little bit. <laughs> I think it's good. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on today, Emily. That was such a life-giving episode. I really appreciate you coming on. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, have a wonderful day. And hopefully we'll get to chat again when either I make it to London with you or you come <laughs> out with another book. Sounds great. Great. Bye. You guys want to run out and grab her book now, don't you? I bet you do. You can go order it through our show notes if you go to boldturquoise.com slash 109. We will have all of the links there for you to find it. We will also have links to today's sponsor, which is Grove. I would love if you would just even head over there and check out their deal through the link that we have in the show notes and the link that we mentioned in the podcast because it just helps the show to continue to get sponsored and be able to stay open for business. So thank you for all of you who actually visit our sponsors it makes a big difference and I really really appreciate it all right ladies I think that's it for this week's episode next week we have on the show Audrey Roloff with her brand new book with her husband Jeremy a love letter life and you guys I loved this book I cannot wait to have you listen to this next podcast but like I said I would love to be chatting with you over the next week until that podcast comes out so find me on Instagram or on Facebook and I would love to connect all right until Until next time, go be bold and gracious.